Hello, and welcome to Managing IP's IP Lounge, our monthly podcast that reviews the biggest stories in IP and previews what's on the horizon. And this should be our final IP Lounge podcast of 2023. I'm Ronnie Mehta, Senior Reporter in Managing IP, and I'm excited to be joined today by two of my colleagues. Rory O'Neill, our Senior Reporter in Europe. Uh, nice to see you, Rory. Hello, how are you? Um, great, thank you. Um, and then Sakanya Sakar, our senior reporter in Asia, based in India. How are you doing, Sakanya? I'm good, Ronnie. Thanks. How are you guys doing? Great. Um, it's great to be with you both. Um, and I think one of our biggest pieces that we published this month was our list of the top 50 most influential people on IP. As many of our listeners know, each year we recognize IP leaders, IP authorities, public officials, judges, and notable individuals who have been particularly influential in IP. As usual, we have a lot of names that you would expect. I don't think many people are very surprised to find Kathy Vidal or Antonio Campinos on this list. But we have some fun or maybe unexpected additions this year, too. Rory, can you tell us why we included Greta Gerwig this year? Um, yeah, so Greta Gerwig, for those of you who don't know, writer and director of Barbie, um, the, I think the biggest film of the year. Uh, so she's there because the film's massive success basically is like an exercise in IP and brand monetization. And I just, yeah, I don't really think that success would have been possible without Gerwig. Uh, Mattel is the brand owner, uh, they own Barbie and you can praise them, uh, for masterminding all of this, or you can criticize them for being really cynical if you want, but either way, like it's really, I, I think it's really more the style and aesthetic that Gerwig as the filmmaker brought to the movie that made it interesting, that made it successful. Um, like I should say, I, I don't think I actually liked this film as much, nearly as much as everyone else did, but like, I just think it's clear that like the reasons why it works for people and why it's so big, um, they're all artistic choices that Gerwig made. Um, just like, you know, uh, I'm, 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 I'm assuming people have seen it by now. Um, like the kind of ironic postmodern tone and just like the sheer, like, I don't know, pinkness of it. Like, like there's just so many ways this like wouldn't have worked. Um, I think if it was like, it, I, I guess it's, yeah, there's so many ways this could have been just a bit of a dud really, and not really done anything. And it was just like, oh, okay. They made a Barbie movie. But I think the best decision the studio, the producers, the brand owner Mattel made was picking the right filmmaker to do it with. And then as a result, you get this incredibly successful thing, which has like real kind of, kind of, you know, really cuts through culturally. It's what everyone's talking about. And yeah, people are thinking about Barbie in a way they just like had not done for years and years and years. So yeah, I, I thought she had to be on there. Yeah, absolutely. Managing IP, come for the trademarks, stay for the film analysis. So just for fun, Rory, what's the best Greta Gerwig movie in your opinion? Uh, well, as a director, um, I think the first thing she did was Lady Bird. Um, people should check that out if they haven't seen it. Uh, and then before that, she did a lot of acting. Um, maybe if, like one you, people might not have seen, um, Hannah Takes the Stairs. It's mm. good. Um, that was, that was like one of the early ones. There's part of like that kind of, I don't know, that's the genre of film they called like mumblecore, uh, where everyone just kind of talks really quietly, looking at their shoes about like how they don't know what they want from life and everything. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, you should watch it. It's good. Okay, great. Good, good recommendation. Um, and then Barbie uh, and Greta Gerwig, this is certainly a testament to human creativity and writing. But one major talking point this year has been the perks and pitfalls of machine-generated writing. Uh, on that note, uh, one of uh, another addition to the top 50 was Sam Altman, CEO of OpenAI, which released ChatGPT, which has been a really big talking point this year. Um, we've seen lawsuits against OpenAI and other generative AI companies, you know, alleging that their training amounts to copyright infringement. And there's also just been a lot of discussion about how law firms, um, you know, kind of whether they should be using generative AI and what that's going to mean for how they train associates and do work both now and in the future. So that's certainly been a big point this year. Uh, Rory, is there anything that you've seen, um, you know, when it comes to uh, the intersection of IP and generative AI that stood out to you? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, there's like the legal stuff, um, like you say in terms of like, is what they're doing legal under copyright? Um, in terms of, yeah, scraping works from the internet and us using it to train, um, the AI tools. I mean, like we're already seeing litigation over that. People have probably heard about, um, get the images lawsuit, mm -hmm. um, in the UK, but I mean, also like, like we'll see how that plays out. Um, but like also just in terms of like, um, law firms and not them not really knowing what to do like I, I don't know maybe i haven't been around long enough i just i just don't remember the last time like something like this came along and like i feel like every time i talk to a lawyer now or like go to a conference or whatever like pretty much the entire industry accepts it's like something new that they need to like do something about but like no one really seems to know what and like yeah it's been a year um as i i think max was our deputy editor was, was writing about, mm. um, on the site, um, last week as we're recording this, but like, even still, um, I know a year's not that long time, but like, even still loads of firms don't really seem to know what to do. I was at a conference in, at the law society mm. in London, um, a couple of weeks ago and yeah, a big, a big chunk of the afternoon was just, um, either a couple of firms explaining what they're doing with it, how they're using it like testing it out um and then most people just been like yeah we should do something but you know don't really know what yeah <laughs> and so yeah like i mean you couldn't really not have um sam altman on there who and yeah i understand has just been reinstated as ceo of open ai yeah fired for like two minutes that was a, that was an interesting uh turn of events yeah definitely so everything's going Everything's going great over there, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, but but definitely. No, thank you, thank you for that, Rory. Um, and pivoting a bit, we saw a couple major IP litigation victories in China that we recognized in this year's top fifty. So, can you tell? Can you tell us more about who was behind those? Um, yeah, thanks, Rani. Um, you're right that we saw a couple of very uh, notable wins in China mostly earlier this year. Um, in the first case, I think buyer secured a record compensation of $3.5 million from a local Chinese company. Uh, I think it was a medical devices manufacturer. And that's, uh, according to 
publicly available records at least it's the highest ever compensation secured by a foreign patent owner in the life sciences and medical devices sectors in china um in a different case asab loy secured 24 million dollars again from a chinese company uh you know these are notable basically because you know when it comes to china there's always this impression that the courts um over there because of local protectionism don't really favor foreign litigants much and also it's fairly difficult to secure high damages in china especially when you're a foreign litigant so both the rulings somewhat help prove those notions wrong and uh yeah so kudos to byron asab loy for being the front runners in kind of you know securing this victories and setting up examples definitely and then the, the lawyers behind those were well you know recognized in the you know top 52 let's see and speaking of litigation we also saw in a, a significant opinion at the england and wales high court uh rory why did uh, justice marcus smith made make the list Marcus Smith made the list um, because of his brand decision in Optus v. Apple um, earlier this year, which was, yeah, really something very, very in-depth um, and quite, uh, well, is it surprising after um, what happened with Interdigital and the Lovo? I don't know. I think in terms of like what people had expected the UK would be like as a friend, kind of determination venue over the past few years it definitely is surprising um apple got well the result was much much closer to what apple wanted the optus wanted and optus the the scp owner came away from that very just dis- disappointed um and like that in combination with the interdigital judgment which was james meller not uh, not marcus smith but that judgment really upended kind of everyone's understanding of like where the UK kind of sat in terms of SEP owners and implementers respective strategies um it really flipped it around altogether because now you're seeing now you're seeing implementers like Xiaomi coming to the UK and being like yes we want to we want to rate set here and um SEP owners like Panasonic being like um well we're we're going we're taking action in Germany at the EPC and we don't want to we want to reserve our right to enforce any injunctions we get there so like it's clear that like SCP owners have really lost kind of confidence in the UK um as a friend setting uh friend rate setting uh venue and complete opposite has happened for implementers and you're already starting to see that reflected in the strategic choices they're making in terms of where they go for the file certain actions and yeah i mean so like we'll we'll see how many more of these cases we get in the UK I think it's likely if we do see loads more a lot that might actually be brought by implementers rather than SCP mm. owners. And I think like Marcus Smith is not an IP specialist, he's a competition um specialist. He's the most senior competition judge in the country, but um I think that probably lent itself quite well to dealing with the Frank case because obviously Frank does sit at the intersection of like competition and IP and, and you know the more technical aspects of patent law. So he brought a different approach to it. and you know he used a lot of kind of concepts and his experience from um adjudicating competition cases and uh well depending on who you ask i mean most of the implementers i've spoken to think it was a really great decision really in depth really liked what he did and i was at the first standards alliance which is mainly an implementer kind of lobby group i suppose advocacy group um their conference in brussels a couple of weeks ago and uh Mark Smith was a virtual speaker at that and um yeah i mean i wrote after that the kind of received a hero's welcome there <laughs> and you know, he you know, he really did the the questions were, it was a very very 
forgiving, sympathetic audience. And most of the questions were like, uh, lo loves your work in Optus Apple, by the way. And so, yeah, like he, it's, it's not just that decision. It's interstitial, uh, as well, but you know, I, I, I think the kind of fresh spin he brought, uh, Mark Smith brought to, to the Frank case with, um, and then what he said, the conference calling for rates to be made public and everything he's kind of emerging as maybe like one of the most influential judges in this kind of whole debate. Um, at least in terms of how much he's being cited by implementers, um, who are kind of getting the upper hand in some ways, at least in Europe, maybe we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. Yeah. yeah that's why he was embarrassing. No, absolutely. And I think, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to follow that into 2024 and, uh, you know, yeah, so you see what implementers and SCP owners continue to continue to do. Um, but yeah, I think speaking about that, you know, I mean, one of the great things about the top 50 is that it allows us to not only look back at people, but also at the events that have been a big, uh, deal this year. And even as we've been discussing these individuals, you know, there've been like these, you know, really big, big, uh, you know, happenings they've been associated with. Um, and I'm sure we could each do our own podcast about what's happened in our regions this year. But before we sign off, I'd love to get your thoughts on what you've noticed. Uh, so Rory, what stood out to you as the biggest events of this year? Well, for me, I guess it's the EPC, the Unified Patent mm -hmm. Court, which is now a thing, um, after many years of not being a thing. Um, and yeah, yeah, I started hearing cases in June. Um, and yeah, plenty has happened since then. I, I personally find it kind of hard to, to, to know whether it's been like a slow start or not. Like some, some people say it's kind of exceeded expectations. Other people say like, you know, really this is, this, there haven't been that many cases yet. It's over a hundred. Um, I, as so far, uh, as, as we speak anyway, um, which is a fair amount and most of them have been in, um, at least most of the infringement cases have, have been in Germany. Munich in particular, um, has had the most infringement cases of any of the local divisions. And that's kind of all in line with what we would expect. Um, and yeah, we'll see where it goes from here. I mean, I, I do think in time it will become very popular. Um, because I, ju I just don't see any reason for it not to be, um, like it's so set up to, it's been designed to attract patent owners to litigate there. Like it really. It, it just has, and yeah, there are big issues at the moment in terms of transparency and knowing what's going on. Um, uh, the, the court of appeal may do something about that soon. We'll see, but, and I think that's maybe kind of an obstacle for more people, especially like maybe us litigants going in there at the moment, cause they don't really know how it works. And the EBC is not making that easy to find out how it works. Like what arguments are successful. You can't as a rule so far, you can't really look at the, you know, the the statement of claim or the, yeah, so there's not much you can look at actually. And it's hard to get kind of very up-to-date information on what decisions are coming out and when that, that is really inhibiting its potential. I have to say, in my opinion, anyway, um, in terms, if it wants to attract more cases, but I look, they've already shown they're willing to issue injunctions pretty fast. 10 astronomics got one against nanostring and it it's just, it, it covers a really big area. That's probably only going to get bigger. Like, you know, Ireland, for example, might be joining, mm. you know, like I, it's going to get bigger, not smaller, basically. And it's just going to get as a, as they iron everything out, it's just going to become 
really kind of the go-to for patent owners in Europe. I would think, I, I maybe I'm wrong, but I, I don't see why not. Um, what else? I mean, I, I guess, yeah, I mentioned that implementers have kind of gained the upper hand in the SCP debate. Um, and there, of course, I'm, I'm really talking about the SEP regulation. Um, I don't know why I say SEP in conversation, but then when it's the regulation, I say the SEP <laughs> regulation. I, I don't know why I do that. But the regulation that the Commission is, the European Commission has proposed, um, yeah, this is probably the biggest story of the year in SEPs, and I don't know where it's going to go. Um, we'll see next year whether it actually gets through. Before the elections, there's, there's European Parliament parliamentary elections in uh, June. And we'll see if it gets through before then. Um, it's really hard to say. That that looks ambitious, to say the least. Uh, but that would really kind of that that would that would be a huge thing. And it's it's really no surprise that debate has been kind of as vicious as it has in terms of strict feeling. I mean, um, like SCP owners are really incensed over this because it would restrict their ability to enforce their patents for like up to nine months. Um, and yeah, it's 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 not everything implementers wanted, but it's a lot of what implementers wanted. It would really protect them a bit from the injun the injunctive threat mm. that is kind of, sort of the biggest leverage that SAP owners have mm. um, at the moment. So yeah, it's hard to see where it goes from here, but um, I think it's been the biggest story of this year in terms of SEPs and will be the biggest story of next year probably as well. Yeah, absolutely. Will be interesting to follow, follow that one. Um, yeah, I mean, the U.S. has had a lot of uh, interesting developments or uh, events this year. Um, I think what one fun thing is we've gotten a lot of uh, Supreme Court cases. Uh, one really fun one was the Jack Daniels case. Uh, Jack Daniels, we VAP products that involved a company that made a dog toy with the words bad spaniels on it and was looking at whether this should be subject to the, you know, regular likelihood of confusion uh, test under the Lanham Act or whether this should be kind of considered a form of artistic expression that would be subject to a higher standard when it came to determining whether, you know, was infringing or problematic from a trademark perspective. Ultimately, the Supreme Court took a bit of a narrow ruling. It found that the dog toy company had used the term bad spaniels as a designation of source for its own goods. And so then a likelihood of confusion analysis was relevant. And so it would be interesting to see, you know, if they hadn't, how the Supreme Court would have ruled. But that was a, that was a really fun one. It had, uh, you know, their dog toys, uh, you know, Jack Daniels. There was also a poop joke was the original, you know, joke. So it's uh, always fun to have something kind of interesting to talk about when people ask you, you know, what's, what's going on, you know, at your job? What are you, what are you covering? Uh, so I really, I really enjoyed that one. And there was, I mean, there, there, there were a, you know, a lot a lot of things that happened, you know, this this year, but um, you know, I, I think I think it can definitely be fun, and it's in you know not, whether we're talking about Barbie or dog toys, it's nice to have uh, fun stories to you know focus on too. And then finally, Sakanya, what about you? Uh, what strikes you as the biggest developments this year? Um, thanks, Rani. So, um, yeah, there was a bunch of notable developments in Asia this year. Um, we saw some big decisions in the last few weeks, actually, from China. Um, since Rory kickstarted the conversation on SCP sometimes back, I'll start with that first. Uh, a Chinese court recently handed down the global fan determination in the Nokia Oppo's uh, ongoing global SCP dispute. Uh, so that was interesting. While 
not much has been disclosed at the moment uh what nokia and oppo have said in their press statements uh pretty much indicates that the decision wasn't probably too unfavorable to oppo so yeah that that was really interesting uh but yeah of course we are all waiting for more details so uh that's something to keep your eyes on uh again since we are talking about china there was a really interesting ai copyright decision that was handed down by the beijing internet court again just maybe a week back or so the court recognized that uh, the images produced by the generative ai tools table diffusion uh deserved copyright protection so it's kind of groundbreaking because the position taken by the beijing court is in stark contrast to what has been taken by the uh, us copyright office so far so yeah again that was pretty interesting uh apart from that on the business of law front uh i think the denton's touching demojo which happened earlier this year was very interesting it revealed the ongoing struggles of foreign law firms in china i've been covering those issues pretty much all throughout the year so you know anybody interested in that can read them on the managing ip website uh but yeah the breakdown between denton's and touching law firm was claimed to be uh you know it was came to the world's largest law firm partnership uh so that was pretty big um yeah and lastly in india we saw some positive developments uh the bar council of india opened up the country's legal market after a decade of litigation debates uh denton incidentally was the first to enter india after the uh, liberalization move so yeah that was kind of interesting and probably we'll see a lot more firms enter india in 2024 so yeah i'm looking forward to it absolutely i mean i think it's all going to be uh, you know this year has been a really interesting year and we should have an interesting one you know looking look, looking ahead to see how these uh you know developments uh, affect 2024 i think that's uh you know been a really interesting you know year for so yeah and it's been a really interesting year for ip and Uh, big thanks to Rory and Sakanya, uh, who both done some really excellent coverage of these issues, and to everyone who takes the time to keep us informed about what's going on and agrees to be interviewed for our articles. You know, we always really appreciate that. Um, that's it for today. But just a reminder that you can search for us, IP Lounge, on your favorite podcast platforms, and of course, everything you hear about can be read in more detail at managingip.com. To follow all those stories and others, uh, be sure to log on to managingip.com or just subscribe to the podcast. Uh, and see you next year. Bye.